I'm not the house of cards that falls down easily Ooh, I'm strong enough to handle what you throw at me Welcome to Mental Health News Radio. I'm your host, Kristen Sunanta-Walker. Just what are we going to discuss? The intimacy that is mental health. Let's continue to make it as comfortable as discussing brain health or heart health. This show has been on the air for several years and we have amazing co-hosts. And then we created a network of podcasters on mentalhealthnewsradionetwork.com, a place where every possible facet of mental well-being can be talked about openly. My show, after several hundred interviews, the format is this. Intimate, deep, funny, touching, sometimes uncomfortable, but always vulnerable conversations with interesting people. The goal is to have you, our listening family, many of you who have become my good friends, feel as though you are listening in on private conversations. Thank you for tuning in and becoming part of this amazing journey with me and now with our network of podcasters. Just knowing this podcast might be helping any of you realize you are not alone on this journey called being a human being makes doing this podcast worth every Hi, everyone. Kristen Sinanta Walker here, and I am with Melanie Van. Hey, Melanie. Hey, Kristen. And we are doing one of our roundtable discussions with Dr. Paul Meyer. Paul, welcome back. We've, we took a little bit of a break. Hello, Kristen. Hello, Melanie. Hello, listening family. Great to be back. Yeah. Hey. So we we found an article. It's by it's written by one of our podcasters. She does Heal, Grow, Evolve with Kim. Um, her name is Kim Saeed, and she wrote this great article. It's short, concise, to the point. And we're going to, you know, go into it. And I think it fits in with how we're manipulated. The article that Kim wrote is called These Seven Traits Make You Vulnerable to Narcissistic Manipulation. And the reason why I like it and that it's relevant is because in today's world where we are so plugged in, there are more ways for us to be manipulated than ever before. And oh, yeah. And yeah, so email, social media accounts, uh, and there's just ways for people to get at you that are very narcissistic because there's more access to you because of this online lives that we have. So when, when I'm reading this article and we start going through it and I say the first sentence in the article is some people find themselves in a relationship with a narcissist, claw their way out and do their best to write off or avoid other narcissists for the rest of their lives. Others are simply magnets for narcissists. They ditch one romantic relationship with a narcissist only to find themselves in new abusive situations just months later, or perhaps they continue to put up with narcissistic abuse from coworkers or family members. The reason why I add the online piece. Yeah, exactly. And I add the online piece to that because, you know, before this world that we have now, the abuse was horrible. It was in person. It was um, through your family. It, it was not as available to get at you as it is today. So I want people to remember that. Yes, we're talking about Tinder, dating apps online, all of, you know, all the ways that people can Facebook message you, text you. Um, email you, all of that, all of that comes into play today when we're talking about this. It's not just romantic relationships. It's in many different kinds of relationships, a lot more access to get at you. 
So when, yeah. So when we look at that, that piece that's interesting to me is the, the magnets for narcissists. There'll be a lot of people out there that get ticked when they hear that because they feel like that's victim shaming or victim blaming. And I don't know if that's yeah, a term. Yeah. yeah. yeah and, we're not really blaming them. They're mm-hmm. not doing it on purpose. But mm-hmm. um, I mean, I, I see people every week that, that, uh, that have been as a psychiatrist that have been uh, abused and then, and then they're uh, continue to be abused as adults. And, uh, um, and when I asked them, like if, if somebody said, you know, four or five uh, boyfriends in a row that all were abusive, then, uh, then I say, well, you know, you're an intelligent person and all that. Why do you think you put up with that? You know, I, I know what the answer is going to be, but when we look at their childhood a little bit, then, um, almost always they got abused in childhood. So they got used to being abused. And when you're a child and you get abused, you feel like you deserve to be abused. And, and you don't, after a while you give up on fighting it and you just put up with it. And so I think abusers can sort of sense that in people. They can, I don't know how they sniff it out, but they can find somebody that has a passive look or a passive attitude or, or something. And, and they can go up to that person and know that they can abuse that person and get away with it. Whereas if that same person grew up in a home where, where he or she was really loved and respected and things like that, then they wouldn't put up with abuse. If they got abused one time, they'd tell that person to go hit the road. <laughs> and so, you know, that, so they, they become abuse magnets with, with no intention to do it. You know, they just are too passive to fight it because they, Melody, they can't. Yeah, they exactly. Unless Melanie treats them. <laughs> if she treats them, then, then they know how to fight it. <laughs> yeah, Listen, Melanie. I learned the hard way, unfortunately. I learned the hard way. <laughs> right. Personal experience. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So when you read that next sentence, you know, narcissist and empathy, Melanie, and it says it's a common misconception that narcissist, narcissists lack empathy and that they they use or they hurt you using cognitive empathy what does that mean cognitive empathy basically means they know when you're supposed to have empathy um and so they do have enough awareness that they know how they're supposed to feel so they can act and pretend like they care and like they know where you're coming from and like they're empathetic but in reality the actual feeling is not there. So it's literally just a cognitive thought. It's not emotional or feeling based. So that's what cognitive empathy is. And it can be very, very convincing when you have, you know, a narcissist that really understands what, how to manipulate their own empathy to convince someone else that they really care because in reality, they just don't. The feeling is not there. They do not have a capacity to care. It can be very deceiving. Paul, what do you think about that? Yeah, uh, uh, Melanie's exactly right. And if somebody has legitimate empathy, if, if, uh, if one of you suffered um, a loss or got in an accident or something like that, I mean, I, I would feel really, I would grieve, you know, mm-hmm. I, I would feel sad. I would cry and I'd have legitimate empathy, whether I was all alone by myself or talking to one of you on the phone. Um, and, uh, but a narcissist, 
um, if you see somebody that's suffering, he thinks of it as an opportunity. He or she sees it as an opportunity to get in good graces with that person so they can manipulate them more uh, then or later. Right. So I like this. Act empathetic. Exactly. I like the next sentence. Torturers use cognitive empathy to get inside their victims' heads and cause unspeakable pain. <laughs> yes. And I, I always some of the some people that have been extremely narcissistic to varying degrees um, in my life have definitely been able to pick out what my weaknesses are. And in the beginning, they used that knowledge because uh, they're good at it to befriend me or try to do business me with me or whatever. And then the minute that, you know, the table flipped and they wanted to start gaining control or I was starting to catch on to them, it, you know, can happen either way. They turn around and use those things that they figured out about me as, as weapons to try to, you know, take me down or, you know, have me feel bad about myself or, um, you know, be in control of my mental health or whatever it was, my company, whatever it was, which I find um, kind of fascinating that they they use that information for um, knowing you and then they use it to punish you. Yeah, it's all part of the psychological manipulation that happens with people that are psychopaths and sociopaths. This is how they get into people's minds. This is how some of the greatest schemes on the face of the earth have occurred is because they have the ability to have that cognitive empathy and to get inside your head and to make you think that you care because that's when you really start to let your guard down. So a lot of narcissists are master manipulators and that's how they do it. They, they play on what they know your strengths are. And one of those is empathy and they, they use it against you. And that's why it is so confusing when you find yourself in the middle of one of these relationships, you don't even really know how you got there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And Paul, when you pretend like they love you, they pretend Mm -hmm. like, I mean, they'll, they'll ask you to share your, uh, whatever your sufferings are with them. And they'll act empathetic to when you're, so you'll have a good view of that person. And then they'll uh, develop a relationship with you based on who you think that person is, but they really aren't. And then if you break up with that person, then they, then they want to kill you. <laughs> if you really yes. love somebody, you know yeah. what I mean? Uh, uh, if you really love somebody, then um, then you want what's best for them, even if it's somebody else. Yeah, you don't want to destroy. If you them. really love somebody, you want what's best for them, and and that means if you if you think somebody else would be a better match for them than you are, you really you really want that actually, right. because right. you'd rather have them have somebody that's better for them than than you would be. But a narcissist will act like he loves you, but if you if he loses you, he's going to, he, he just as soon kill you. So that's not, right. you know, that's not love. Exactly. Exactly. So there, let's go through the seven traits. Um, they can make you more susceptible. It doesn't mean that you, it doesn't mean that you can't get to a place where you're not a magnet, where you're not susceptible. And um, while we're all susceptible, I, 
all we all can be. You know, even prolific writers about this and psychiatrists and so on that this is their specialty will say, hey, I, I would never say that I can't be fooled. I would be a fool to say yes. that. But how quickly they figure out what's going on is is the difference. So, um, yeah, yes, yeah, I, I have it happen too. So, number one, you're trusting and have integrity. So, we've talked about that before, and we know what integrity is. And, um, you know, we give people break our trust in one way or another. We're very forgiving, and then we want to help people because we think they have some issue. And, you know, <laughs> you do get to a point, and this is what I want to ask the two of you. I'll start with you, Paul. Um, you can have trust and you can have integrity at the same time as being very shrewd about who and what you give your energy to. It doesn't make you a less open or less loving person to be shrewd, probably because you've been caught up in these kind of relationships and you've just learned, I'm not going to just lay the table out for anybody anymore. So, Paul, what do you think about yeah. that? My, my dad used to tell me when I was growing up, uh, you know, uh, first of all, some guy with uh, obsessive compulsive disorder counted how many verses there were in the Bible. I've told you this before, I think, mm -hmm. to see which one was in the middle. And the middle verse in the Bible, it's in Psalms somewhere, is uh, don't, push your, don't put your trust in man. <laughs> so, don't, don't trust people. It doesn't mean you can't trust anybody, but my dad used to tell me when I was growing up, he'd say, uh, Paul, don't. Don't trust anybody until you've uh, shared a bushel of salt with them. In other words, you've had so many meals together that you got to know each other so well that you've used up an entire bushel of salt on the meals. Uh, so, I mean, I, that, that'd be, you know, that'd be a little waiting too long. But um, I, I grew up in a home uh, that was very, very honest and uh, uh, had a lot of integrity. And, and uh, I mean, I, I, uh, I don't remember cheating on any tests or, uh, you know, I wasn't sinless, but, uh, but I was very honest. And, uh, and so because of that, um, later on in life, when I, when I became a psychiatrist, um, there's this, uh, um, guy, I, I don't want to go into detail cause, uh, I don't want, if he's listening, I don't want him to, you know, sue me or anything, but, but anyway, there's this guy that I really trusted. And, um, and he seemed so trustworthy and, 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 uh, he was real smart and I invested my money with him. And, uh, and that's when I was making a lot back then when I was selling a lot of books and things, you know, when I was on the radio every day mm -hmm. and, um, and, and he just ended up taking it. I mean, you know, I just lost everything. And, uh, because I thought since I have integrity, then, uh, then he must too. Right. And, um, and, and I think people that are honest are easier to take advantage of than people that are, I think people that are crooks can, can tell if somebody else is being a crook, <laughs> right. uh, probably. I would guess that better. But those of us who are honest, it's a little bit harder to tell when people are lying to us. Don't, don't you think? Yeah, that goes right into number two. But um, I want to get Melanie's thoughts on that one before we move to number two. Well, I mean, I love what Kim Saeed has to say here. And because this is how I am, I, and this is where I think 
this is how I think we can get blindsided, especially, you know, an empath can get blindsided by a narcissist is because we're, we are a way that we can't see out of. So I think, and exactly what I do is I naturally trust people until they give me a reason not to trust them. Right. So, and that's, it's backwards. It shouldn't, it shouldn't be that way, but but you, you're working from this place of integrity yourself. And so you literally can't really imagine or you don't have a perception that someone else would have, you know, motives that were not pure or, or not honest because your motives are honest and you and you just put everything out there. So you, you literally can't relate to someone that that doesn't because it's just so who you are. Um, and, and so, again, the narcissist takes the very essence of who you are and uses it against you. And I think that's why it could be so confusing for you to be in the middle of a relationship with one of these people and not even really understand how you got there. So they, they totally use it against you. Um, and, and then even when you catch them in their lies, they're going to use your integrity against you to get them to believe them again. I mean, that gaslighting starts from day one. Right. I don't even understand that, Kristen. Yeah, it starts from day one. They start manipulating who you are against you. They use it against yourself. So it just becomes confusing, I think. Right. Yeah, I'd like to share a really great quote that I just sure. thought of uh, from uh, Townsend and Cloud. Uh, for those in our listening family who don't know, uh, John Townsend and Henry Cloud are two of the top uh, psychologists in the country, uh, I believe, and they've written a series of books on boundaries that have sold millions of copies and everything. But I just remembered a, um, a quote that they say about this. They said, you can give somebody love, but you, you never should give trust. Trust has to mm-hmm. be earned. Yeah. So you can yeah. give somebody love, but you, you don't ever give trust. Trust has to be earned over a long period of time. Yeah. Oh boy, I learned that the hard way. Uh, that and that goes right into number two. So number two, you value equality and treat others with respect. You believe that relationships are a 50-50 experience, and you treat others the way you'd like to be treated. Um, narcissists use their cognitive empathy to get in your head and and exploit your compassionate empathy and what makes it so difficult is you know what we've been talking about where you you're shocked at the first time they disrespect you because in the beginning you're just the cat's meow you know (laughs) and everything about you is the sun the moon and the stars which now when people do that to me I immediately don't trust them where in the past I was like wow target you know Uh, (laughs) so if I start getting a cavity right away at how much they're saying nice things to me then I I definitely pull back immediately and go what's what's the game here is there a game whatever but in the past I just was like oh this is wonderful how wonderful to be loved and respected like that so it's it's a naivete that um, you know you have to you have to go through so that valuing equality and treating others with respect. I guess what I want to look at here, Paul, is the ability for people who are extremely empathetic, who are not narcissistic um, to the degree that, it, you know, everybody has narcissistic qualities. But, you know, these are at the core, really good, empathetic, 
um, caring people that don't try to abuse others, how you can maintain your value of equality and treating others with respect, but also being very aware that there are predators out there and that um, you're just going to be very well boundaried. So because some people I've heard when they first start going through, they when they first start figuring out that they're getting into these kind of relationships, they feel very angry for a while at a loss of innocence. Mm-hmm. At the life yeah. that they had before where they were a little bit in La La or a lot in La La land. And they're very angry about having that taken, quote unquote, away from them. And they look at that as a bad thing. Now there's this damage and they're, uh, they feel like that something was stolen from them. And I used to think that too. And I don't think that anymore. I think I got some awesome tools that I carry around in a tool bag with me that now help me navigate life in a much healthier way. Nothing was taken from me. Um, but what do you think, Paul? Uh, uh, when you're young, at least, you know, when I was young, they may, uh, about 1600 decades ago, <laughs> uh, when I was young, I used to believe, you know, pretty much, even though the Bible never taught that, that, you still tend to believe in the basic goodness of mankind, you know, that uh, most people are really good. And, yeah, go, you know, this, this is talking about the golden rule, treat others as you would want to be treated yourself. When I, and I see a patient and I can't decide uh, exactly what, to, what medication to give them. I, I ask myself, and I, and I told somebody that today, let's see, what would I want you to give me if you were my psychiatrist right now? Mm-hmm. You know, I said, I think I'd want you to do this. So I think that's what we ought to try. But um, um, when, when you get older, you, you know, you find out that there are a lot of people that, that are dishonest and, and narcissistic and a lot of you things like that. And, and uh, I remember how discouraged I was in my psychiatric training when I saw a study where they, uh, they interviewed 100,000 people going through shopping malls and ask them different questions about morality and things. And one of the questions was, would you steal from your neighbor if you knew you wouldn't get caught? Would you steal from your neighbor if you were 100% sure you wouldn't get caught? And 75% said they would. Mm. 75%. That's shocking to me, you know? And uh, uh, it's just, when you you see how much uh, corruption there is in the world, and you know, I guess... You know, cops see it, and psychiatrists and therapists see it, and and uh, I guess if you've been through enough hurts, you see it too. So, like like you said, uh, that you, you lose that, you grieve over the loss of that uh, uh, that innocent view you had of the world that people are all basically good. Yeah, uh, and there I, are a lot yeah. of good people in the world, but yep. not necessarily in the majority. Exactly. Melanie, what do you think about that? Because we hear it all the time, too, especially with our show. Um, People and, you know, you and I both have said we're just so angry. Like, how dare they take that away from me? And you get through that stage and you come out the other side. It takes a while, but you do get through it and you realize, okay, nothing was taken away from me that didn't need to go away. Yeah, well, I mean, I think what you have to realize, and I definitely went through that stage too, but I think I thought, I think about it a little bit differently, but I think 
you you get to the other side where you realize that nothing was taken from you, but everything was given to you. As painful as it was, you gained what you needed to gain in your life to come away with true happiness. Because when we're not living in reality, or if we can't see things truthfully, or we're blindly believing in something that isn't there, then, you know, that's going to stop us from having the things that we really want out of life. So, I mean, I definitely got to the other side of things where I was like, you know, nothing was taken from me, but everything was given to me because I just, you know, have been able to get to a very different point in my life. And I think, I think I, for me, I did not, I, I wasn't blind to evil in the world. I'd experienced it myself, you know, mm-hmm. as a child. And so I, I knew it was there, but because of those defense mechanisms, I had this deep belief that love conquered all. Mm-hmm. Right. And so what, what for me, the, the most painful part was that, you know, that I couldn't love this person enough to quote, make them change or that no matter how, how much I did or how much I prayed or whatever I did, that that it just wouldn't change it. So this idea of, well, love conquers all became false to me. Mm. And that's not, that's not the truth. <laughs> you know, and who wouldn't grieve that, right? I mean, the Bible tells yeah. us that, that love is, you know, love and hope conquers all. So it so it was just it to me, it's a, a perception thing. It's how you perceive yeah. things and you know that being in relationships with these people really messes with your perception. So I think if you can, you know, dig through all the lies and falseness that they've somehow gotten into your head with all of their fake empathy and all these other tricks they have up their sleeve, then you can get to the truth of what you really learned. And when you get to that, I truly believe you're, you're given everything back and then some, you just have to work through the grief and that's, really hard not to get angry and bitter. And unfortunately, a lot of people stay stuck there. Yes. That angry, bitter That's state. A great is, answer, yeah. That's a great answer. Uh, yeah. You know, we, none of us wants to get burned. No. On the other hand, we don't want to spend the rest of our lives naive either. And, and uh, it's better to get burned a little than be naive the rest of your life and get burned a lot later. Yeah. yeah. Better to get burned a little now than a lot later. Yeah. yeah. Let's talk for a second. We're moving into number four. You love unconditionally. Here's an interesting thing that, you know, people that have been through these different types of things, some people it happened one time in their life that they got involved with a um, deceptive person who was, you know, predator in some way or another. And then they, that, that was enough. Like they, because they grew up in a very loving home and, you know, they've learned their lesson and they run into people like that, but no one can pull the wool over their eyes as much as the one. And then there are those of us who grew up with this kind of behavior. And so we have it over and over again, how we sort of move out of that. It seems like sometimes the road can be like this. You continue to have people in your life that are extremely narcissistic and one of them at one point in your life just shakes you to your core and the worst thing you can do if it's a dating experience is jump right back into dating because you're really still too vulnerable and damaged to <laughs> make good decisions about who you've picked because you're still 
dealing with the wounds of this other relationship. So you get in another one and you get another one, you get another one. And what can happen for people is they, who they pick can become progressively worse, a worse narcissist, uh, treat them, you know, worse. And then they learn the lesson that they, okay, I really need to do some work here. And then they pick progressively less worse people until it's not really an issue in their life that they worry about. They know that some are going to come in, they figure it out. And, you know, those people are absconded with in peaceful way as possible. But it seems like there's this road that you have to take when you've had this happen over and over again. And a lot of that plays into that unconditional love piece, because if you weren't loved unconditionally as a child, you are absolutely a magnet for narcissists um, well on into your adulthood. But I wanted to get your opinion on that, Paul. Oh, you know, one thing I wanted to say, okay, that there are, there are people who grew up in homes where they were loved a lot. And, uh, and so they, they, they're not necessarily a magnet for narcissists, except that they're more, uh, maybe gullible that, that they think other people, uh, love unconditionally. But, you know, some people end up with a narcissist because they had bad luck. And, right. uh, it's not always due to some psychological reason and things like that. But usually if somebody ends up with a narcissist because of bad luck, once they figure out that the person's really being uh, mean and selfish and, and not who they thought they were, they break up with them and they're careful, more careful the next time they learn. Uh, whereas somebody that uh, uh, either had uh, either suffered a lot of abuse in childhood or somewhere else along the line, like if they had an abusive parent, they may be unconsciously uh, attracted um, to narcissists over and over again because they want to fix the dad or the mom that was narcissistic or, or they want somebody like that mom or dad that never loved them to love them. And so if somebody grows up without being unconditionally loved hardly at all, if they grow up being conditionally loved, then they may be attracted to people that conditionally love like narcissists, uh, they, either because they miss that or they want to fix that, uh, or they're so bitter um, that they want to get vengeance on somebody like mm-hmm. that. So, you know, those are two possible motives there. Oh, that's a good point. Yes. Melanie, what do you think about that, that unconditional love piece? Yeah, I was going to, I'm so glad Paul said that because as I was reading what Kim had written, I was like, well, no one, only God loves unconditionally. And for an empath, um, to think that they can love unconditionally is equally narcissistic in my opinion. Mm. Um, which, you know, we've talked about how it can be two sides of the same coin, right? Yeah. So, I mean, I, you know, I, I think what I think back into uh, the, re- the relationship that I had, and um, I wouldn't say that I loved unconditionally. It was just that my empathy was used against me because there were definitely times when red flags flew up and I made boundaries. I made healthy logical boundaries. I hadn't been in relationships that were narcissistic. Um, I just ended up in one. And when I would point out the negative behavior on behalf of the narcissist, there was always a sob story. 
um, that would trigger my empathy and my kindness. And then I would forgive and give another chance. And I mean that, and so it wasn't like I was just blindly going along and loving them no matter what they did. I, I, I called it out every time it happened, but then somehow, you know, this, this empathy that I have for people and want to understand um, was just used against me. So I'm, I'm not, I mean, sometimes I think you can kind of love unconditionally with, with really unhealthy boundaries and that can definitely get you in situations with a narcissist, but um, you know, sometimes it, it's just a little bit more complicated. So, and that's something that I want to come across in this entire interview is that these relationships are complicated. I, I mean, there's no black and white. There's no, oh, you were abused as a kid. That's why you end up with a narcissist. Yeah. Every relationship, every single of these, one of these relationships is unique and different and we don't ever want our listeners to think that we're pigeonholing you because we don't know what our listeners stories have been. Right. Um, and we don't know all the ins and outs of the relationship and that it's, it's just so incredibly complicated, but on the larger scheme of things, knowing these things about yourself will certainly help you hopefully from getting into another relationship with someone like that. So mm. that's kind of my thoughts on it. Okay. Um, number five is you're honest and compassionate, that being a trait that could make you um, a magnet. So, and I don't even like using that word, a magnet, because there's so many different things that, you know, come into that. But something that um, narcissistic people are looking for often are people who are who really pride themselves on being honest and compassionate people. And they, they want to exploit that. They're not genuine, but oftentimes of a very narcissistic person will have really good, honest and compassionate people vouching for them. And they, that's how they use that's how they use people or organizations to do the stuff that they do because they can't stand up on their own. They've got to bring, you know, someone who is honest and compassionate along with them. And that's, you know, and they utilize that in order to fraud, you know, defraud other, other people. So sometimes when I look at someone and I see that they so believe in someone that I can see right through, I think, Oh, that's going to be a rough one when that really nice person figures that out. <laughs> what do you think about that, Paul? Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at uh, um, these seven points here and, the, and what the author said here that uh, in the beginning, the narcissist will pretend it, to appreciate your honesty and your compassion. Um, but in, in his head or her head, uh, they're thinking, how can I use this to manipulate? And uh, so he'll try to get you, it, because you're honest, he'll try to get you to talk about your your feelings and and about the bad things that happened to you in your life and 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 all that stuff they they want you to be vulnerable and and uh, tell them all those uh, things trauma from your past things like that and the narcissist will freely dig up uh, all of that that uh, every time they need to carry out narcissistic manipulation tactics to exploit your genuine and very valid emotions uh, but in in uh, they don't hate your honesty they love to exploit it every chance they get. And so as you share things, they'll, 
they'll either uh, use them to take uh, empathy or to manipulate you or get you to feel sorry. They'll tell you things that aren't even true, so you yes. feel compassion for them. <laughs> and uh, they want to do what they want you to do because you feel so sorry for them. Yeah, I, I've had I, you know a lot of a lot of married people that are people in a monogamous relationship will, but they are extremely narcissistic. Will tell uh, whoever it is that they're wanting to you know add as a romantic partner on the side. Oh, I'm so abused by my spouse. They're so horrible. It was this awful it's this awful relationship. That person is a psychopath and you get into the relationship with them further. And sometimes that's true. And they were abused. And sometimes you're like, Oh, the person that you're married to is a saint close as close to a saint as possible. And I can't believe that you portrayed them that way just to try to get me to be in an illicit relationship with you. Yeah, they, they can be so manipulating <laughs> yeah there goes that using your honor and that you know your honesty and your com your compassionate your compassion that's what I was saying before is that my compassion was used against me um, and I was lied to uh, many times just just to get me basically what happens is they know that your compassion is going to override your hurt feelings and your distrust of them so yes. when they've done something bad they can turn it around and key into your compassionate side and know that your compassion is so big that it's going to make up for the horrible thing that they just did to you. So it's not even like you're forgiving them for what they did. It's just that they've told you some story that's so horrible. Um, and this is why they reacted the way they did. And they didn't mean to yell at you or they didn't mean to this, but this happened to me and this is why I did that. And so it, you know, it immediately, hooks into your compassion and you just go into compassion mode and you're much more willing to forgive them for these horrible things that they've done to you. So it's really sneaky how they use it against you. It really is. Yeah. I've seen yeah. so, so many um, people that were having an affair um, that come in here for therapy or, or, you know, things like that. And, uh, and, and I asked them, well, how, how did you get involved with that person? Well, my husband just doesn't listen to me, but this friend at work, he just cares and listens uh, to to uh, how I feel, and he does this and he does that, and and uh, and, and then they, you know, I, I I tell him, well, you know, there's a good chance that he's, you know, kind of you, and uh, well, no, he no, he's not, he's not, he's not. I said, well, here's what what you need to do. just don't allow there to be any romantic uh, relationship. Uh, you know, no sex involved, and you know it's better to break it off altogether, of course. But yes. have them start there, and as soon as they, you know, refuse to uh, have sex or uh, the, or the other romantic things, they get dished. You know, <laughs> so all of a sudden, this caring person quits being caring. You know, because he was using it yep. to get what he wanted, and uh, and people are shocked. You know that there's so many fakes out there. Yeah, I've had somebody uh, that I was holding his hand because I really felt for this story that he was telling me about how he was abused as a child. And I was holding his hand like, you know, we're going to pray together about this. We're going to talk about this. I feel for you. And the minute that he realized that I was not going to have an affair with him, he literally 
the tears, the crocodile tears that were coming down his cheeks and somehow magically dried up. And he literally threw my hand out of his hand and threw it back at my body. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I was like, whoa. <laughs> Hey, maybe that was an honest mar- narcissist. <laughs> like, I didn't no, know. I really <laughs> he didn't say anything. He just, it was like, oh, I put all this yeah. time in and nothing's going to happen. Just, ugh. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, well now, you know, then I was crushed. Like, I thought we were friends. And then now I'm like, whatever. You know, I wouldn't even. Anyway, number six, <laughs> your desire to heal others and fix people. That, uh, you can't, I don't, I don't even want to start that one off. Um, Paul, let you take that one to start off. <laughs> that, that's a, that's a big one. Uh, boy, the narcissists, they love fixers and healers and people that have empathy and stuff. And, and, uh, around them, they'll tell their sob stories and, and, uh, uh, and act like only you can heal them and, um, you know, they've got this addiction or that addiction, but they just need somebody to love them. And, and, uh, and boy, they, they will really suck you into a relationship. Alcoholics will find somebody that wants to rescue an alcoholic, like somebody who had an alcoholic parent and, uh, they'll get in, uh, enabling relationships where, where the, uh, the, they might even get married to that person. And that person uh, uh, will, uh, like the wife, let's say the wife's the one that's not the alcoholic, but she'll go to work. I, I'm thinking of an actual case right now where uh, I, we call her the church lady. You know, that, that was the nickname that I called her. And she, uh, she'd go to church, uh, you know, um, Sunday night, Sunday morning. She was one of those that goes to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. And uh, her husband, and, and she worked, and uh, and he uh, never worked. Uh, she paid all the bills. He didn't do anything except drink. And when she brought her check home, he'd use half of it to get alcohol. And he would uh, hit her and beat her and stuff. And she'd come to a prayer meeting and talk about how much uh, uh, abuse she had suffered. And, and uh, one time she went to church, and I think she had her arm in a sling or something. And and uh, and she shared how much you know she was suffering and prayed for her husband. He was trying to change him. And the pastor got tired of, of hearing this and he went out with her to the home and really chewed the guy out and, and laid it on the line and, and uh, told him what he thought. And, and the guy actually changed. <laughs> you know, he actually uh, uh, became a believer and went into counseling and he grew and he ended up uh, getting a job. Then he ended up going into business for himself. And uh, a few years later, after therapy, uh, he was a, a deacon in the church. And he was sincerely, he had sincerely become a, a good person and he was a good dad. He was a good husband. And, uh, and, and, and she got clinically depressed and because she was so used to being the, the healer that it depressed her not to be, uh, the healer. And she came into our day program and, uh, and, uh, the, one of the first things she did was, um, almost start an affair. Uh, with another alcoholic that had checked into the oh day program. Oh my gosh! Wow. You know because, yeah, because she wanted and she had never had an affair before, but she wanted to have an affair and and, and that's what fifty percent of the time, 
if somebody's codependent and enabler and they're married to an alcoholic, if, if there's a divorce, at least half the time or more, they'll marry another alcoholic. And if, if, uh, if an alcoholic goes straight over half the time, the person married to the alcoholic that put up with them all those years will divorce them when he goes straight and yeah. marry somebody else that's suffering. Mm-hmm. So there, that's what you call a codependency. Yes, and, uh, absolutely. So, uh, and Melanie, you've you've talked about that about that desire to um, that desire to heal others and fix people, and I've said it too. I mean, I was applying for sainthood and martyrdom, um, and it was just it was narcissistic behavior of my own to think that that was um, to bury myself in the fixing of others instead of. Uh, Because it was a way for me to not really look at myself. Now, I give myself not a pass, but I understand why I did those things. And we all come to our awakenings and our healings in different ways. Um, But it was was a little bit of a bitter pill to swallow when I had to look at it and go, okay, I can't just blame the other person for this because I really participated in it. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, to your defense, <laughs> um, you know, I just think uh, by nature, some of us are um, healers. This is why we have doctors like Dr. Meyer and physicians and counselors and people that do acupuncture and massage. And there are people in this world that are healers. Um, this is biblically based, you know, they're some of us just have that heart and we, we have to, you know, be authentic and be honest and be that person. So, but sometimes just like every trait, it can get to the wrong end of the spectrum. So, and I think it's done for different reasons. I think, you know, some people are avoiding themselves. And I think sometimes, I think for me, what I figured out was that my self-worth was caught up in my ability to help others. So that was that was also caught up in that thing. You don't want to walk away. Like you don't want to walk away from someone because your self-worth is caught up in being a helper and a healer. So when I finally found my self-worth in Christ, which is where it should have been from, from the beginning, um, then I started then I started to do less of those things that were really unhealthy. So, because if you're getting your esteem from helping others, um, then you, you see why you continue to do that. And and then when you can't help someone, then it's, it's such a blow to your ego uh, because that's where your self-worth is caught up. So when I finally was able to, you know, um, define my self-worth in, in, in something different that I didn't have to help anyone, um, then my helping of other people became something much more authentic and pure because I wasn't doing it to gain self-worth. I was doing it because I truly cared about someone else. And that's much more powerful than the other. I'm not saying I never helped anyone because I think I did. I think I helped a lot of people. But when it comes from a different place, I think it's just a lot healthier. Does that make sense? I'm interested to hear what Paul has to say about that because I know you're yeah, a fig- uh, yeah. yeah yeah that's yeah that's really good um, yeah. and I, I used to I, I know when I was in residency uh, I if I tried to help somebody and and they uh, they wouldn't change I'd feel really sad yep. and 
and, and it was really, I mean, it would ruin my, my day, you know, and, and my professors would notice that and they'd say, you know, that's, that's not healthy. Um, you know, that, that there might be, uh, you know, different motives involved in there and, uh, you healing them. And if you care about people, uh, you need to do it in a mature way where you, you show, you know, empathy for them. Um, and, and, and you, uh, listen to them and you share things that you think will help them, but it's up to them whether to apply it or not. Yeah. And, uh, you don't take it home with you and, and you don't feel like you're worthless if you can't persuade them to right. change. You know, yeah. it's sad when you see people that could really be helped and, uh, they just refuse to do it. You know, it, it, when I started out, it was especially sad when you'd see somebody that was, uh, married to a real abusive jerk, you know, that, that was hurting them and raping them, uh, even nightly and, and beating them and all that. And, and, uh, they'd finally get to a point in therapy where they'd, uh, break up with that person and make progress for two or three months in a row. And you'd feel so good about yourself for helping them. And then they'd run back to them. And uh, oh, okay. And I've had, it is so hard to deal with because you're, there's nothing you can do. Yeah. But, yeah. You know, I need to do what I can and let people choose what they choose. And it doesn't mean I'm less empathetic, but you know, I, I don't have to base my self worth on whether I can heal everybody or not. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the last one on the list is seven. You have trouble setting boundaries. And let me tell you, I didn't even know what a boundary was for a, about some things. And boundaries are, uh, it's not like you have one boundary and that means you're covered in every other area of your life. <laughs> boundaries are a constant, uh, thing that you're working on and I could be very well boundaried about specific things and then this open um you know very naive person and not skilled at all at setting boundaries at saying no and all of those things um as an adult and and certainly as a child by boundaries were crossed again and again and again by people that I you know should have been able to trust so um it, it was really difficult for me to not tie my self-worth to how I perceived I was pleasing others and pleasing others meant, you know, not having boundaries often. And it, it was a lot of knock, knocks around to my self-esteem and a lot of painful things that went on throughout my life that taught me about how to set boundaries that were healthy. So, Paul, what do you say about that? I, I want everybody to like me. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I, I didn't have uh, very many. I'm still learning how to have better boundaries. But I remember, uh, you know, when I became a doctor, then, uh, you know, any any uh, um, friends and some relatives that would uh, you know, go out to eat with me always expected me to pick up the bill. And so of mm. course, I always did. And uh, even uh, I remember there was even a guy in our, uh, there were a couple of guys and uh, we had a growth group at church and, and, uh, and, and there were a couple of people that would always want to have lunch with me. And, and I said, sure. Yeah. Let's or have breakfast. Yeah. Let's go have breakfast. And, 
And uh, this one guy that always forgot his wallet. Every single time he'd use the same excuse. I forgot my wallet. You'd think, you know, after a while, why? You know, how, how could he forget his wallet 12 times in a row? Uh, you know, but, um, and, and then there was another one that would always uh, borrow money and, uh, and never repay it. And yet every time he asked me to borrow money, deep down I knew he was, deep down I, I you know, knew he was probably never going to repay it. But in my head, I kept trying to convince myself, well, he is, he just can't right now. You know what I mean? And so I didn't have boundaries. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I let people take advantage of me. Um, and, uh, you know, part of it probably was, I, I don't know what all the reasons were. Um, well, sure I, I'm a lot better at it. Yeah, and I think it goes right to what you said. You you want people to like you, and setting boundaries can uh, make people um, not like you for a minute or two. And if they're a nice, uh, if they're you know someone that can take it, they'll. Sometimes it's in the delivery of the boundary too that helps you learn how to set your boundaries in ways that aren't like are your nails on a chalkboard as you get better at having them. But if you're tied to people pleasing, saying no is very, it's hard because it's hard to sit with somebody being upset with you or to causing an, an uncomfortable situation. Yeah. Yeah. You'd almost rather get taken advantage of <laughs> yes. than to have a sociopath not like you. Yes. Yeah, that's, that's a little bit sick, you know? Oh boy, that's yeah, a, I've that's a mental illness that I've got. Same what here, Mel. Same here, Mel. Mel, what do you what do you think about that? Well, I'm sitting here thinking, and again, you know, yeah, maybe I've had problems with boundaries in my life, but you know, my experiences at a child as a child actually gave me really strict boundaries, and so this was kind of opposite. So instead of me just folding and not having having any, I had really strict ones. And what happened to me in the relationship with a narcissist is that when I put up boundaries, I was made to feel guilty about it. So I kept putting up boundaries, and then I got told that I wasn't being Christ-like when I put up a boundary. Exactly. Or I was being unforgiving, or I was being a B, ITCA, <laughs> you know, I mean, just I, I was whatever it was. So I was made to feel guilty about the boundaries that I had. So then I became fearful to put up boundaries at all. And so it wasn't that I didn't have boundaries. It was that when I put boundaries up that were perfectly healthy and safe in a, in a healthy relationship, I was made to feel guilty about it. Um, and so sometimes it's not that you don't have the boundaries is that you're kind of talked out of them. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, when, uh, when I finished, when I finished my, uh, my residency at Duke, I, I went and taught at a seminary and uh, I grew up in a, in a church. It had a lot of good parts of it, you know, but where the, I grew up with the feeling that anything anybody asked you to do, was an opportunity to serve God and that you ought to do it. You know, you ought to do anything in, anything anybody asks you to do so that you can be Christ-like, like you were just talking about. You know I mean? And so uh, I taught the seminary, and uh, I, I saw students and their wives for free on weeknights for um, marriage counseling, and I did uh, charitable work in the ghetto on Saturday mornings, and, uh, and I spoke in churches on Sunday, and I wasn't spending enough time with my own kids 
and uh, I was getting up every morning early to have devotions, and and I was getting depressed, and uh, and, and I was, you know, I, I just I, I just didn't know how much long I, longer I could take being a good Christian, you know, <laughs> maybe I have to give up Christianity or something. And, and I came across that verse, um, where Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Yeah. And I, I, I remember, you know, throwing my Bible down on the bed and, uh, where I was kneeling and, and shaking my fist and saying, you know, heavenly father, how can you say this? How can you say that your burden is easy? It's overwhelming me. I'm getting burned out. And, and that's when I, Call up my uh, buddy Frank Minnerts, who was my my uh, cadaver mate in medical school, and uh, <laughs> I was in Chicago at the time. He was in Dallas, and, and 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 that's and I've shared this story before, but that's when he said, "Well, you know, you you think God's a German immigrant because your dad was a German immigrant, and and uh, no, you know, no matter what you did, it wasn't quite enough." And yeah. uh, he said, "If the Bible says that uh, God's yoke is easy and its burden is light, then it is." And so I figured, I, I figured it out, you know, when he pointed out that a lot of things I was doing wasn't, I, I wasn't doing them as God called me to do them. I thought he called me to do all those things. And so I gave up about half or more of the things and just did a few things well. And, uh, and people that I'd been doing them for made me, laid a guilt trip on me. And so what you just shared, uh, Melanie and Kristen reminded me of that, that, uh, I said, well, you know, people would ask me to speak in churches, and, and I'd say, no, no, I'm one church with my own family. And, oh, you're, you're not going to speak in churches anymore? You know, what kind of yeah. are you? You know, and, uh, uh, or students, you know, would want counseling, and I didn't have time to counsel them. Uh, and, and I'd say, you know, here's some places you can go to get counseling. And, uh, and, and uh, uh, I, I actually, you know, uh, heaven forbid, quit doing charity work in the ghetto on Saturday mornings. And instead I spent Saturday mornings with my kids and, and, uh, and so I had to work through for a while. I had a lot of false guilt. I'd feel guilty for not doing those things that I had learned all my life that you got to do everything that you're asked to do. And, but when I slowed down and did a few things, well, that's when I ended up, you know, writing a hundred books and doing all the other stuff that I could do right. because I had, um, so yeah. it was an important lesson channeling that energy, you know, that energy that you have that's tour de force and putting it into other, you know, other things yeah. that weren't so draining. Yeah, I've, I've had that too, where um, anytime I, I put up a boundary, I would be screamed at, uh, told I was being abusive, someone that had just been screaming at me, um, just t- completely like, you know, slamming a door open that I'm in a private room or a bathroom screeching at me or, or yelling or whatever. And when I very sternly would say, this is not okay. Get out of this room. The tactic was, Oh, you're being abusive to me. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, what? <laughs> so, <laughs> when, you know, you start, seeing the ridiculousness of it. And sometimes I have to say, I do watch now uh, when people come in and they are trying to sell me something or they're trying to use the network in some way that they think it's some big cash cow. And I'm like, it's an advocacy organization. Um, You know, I don't know what you think you're going to get out of it by this, but if you, you kind of sit back 
and you give enough, you give someone enough rope to hang themselves, which sounds awful, but you, I think everybody knows what I mean by that, that well-known statement. Um, you, it's kind of interesting to me to watch their shtick because each narcissist has, to sh has a shtick and, um, and to kind of watch how other people interact with them uh, watch what they say, watch how they change their language, because in the moment that they're speaking to me, they're trying to figure me out in order to manipulate me further. And you and it's really interesting to be having a conversation with someone that is actively trying to manipulate you in awful ways, ways to use you. And you're sitting in the conversation with them going, huh. Now, I know you, Melanie, and you, Paul, deal with this as you know, doing counseling, you deal with this, but people that aren't counselors that are trained in that in a counseling room, um, it, it's it's utterly fascinating to sit there and go, hmm, so that's their little deal. Gotcha. Okay. Well, now I'm going to start figuring out how to walk out of this relationship peacefully. <laughs> yeah. That's where experience uh, comes in handy. You know, not, none of us want to get burned. Right. But if you never got burned, then you're going to you know, when I have somebody that's young, uh, you know, a college uh, student or somebody that got manipulated by a narcissist and they're depressed over it. And, and I tell them, well, you know, I, I never want anybody to suffer and I hate to see you suffering. But in a way, it's it's really good that it happened now because, you know, maybe they were engaged to that person. And right. Isn't that great that it happened now instead of after you got married? And they and they say, well, I never thought of it that way. You know, I, I said, I'm sorry that it happened. You know, it's, it's horrible. I, I hate to see you go through the pain. But boy, it would have been much worse three years from now. Right. And, yeah. yeah, you can find a, um, you can find some good, you know, things about it. You learned lessons. You sharpened your, the, you know, the tools that you use to protect yourself in the future. You're wiser. Um, you didn't fall off a cabbage patch truck. Uh, you did for a while and now you're really, you know, you're driving the cabbage patch truck now. And I found the last thing I'll say is this, and I want to see what you guys think about this, but sometimes they, you know, they really think that you're the mouse in the bathtub running around, running around, running around, and the cat is playing with you and they, and they believe that they're the cat. But as you wise up to this, and I'm not saying this works with all of them because some of them are pretty darn good, but after a while, it's not that you become the cat, um, but you you don't run around in the bathtub for them, them anymore. So you're not fun to play with. And you can kind of figure out how to manipulate them, not even kind of, you do figure out how to manipulate them. And for one reason only, to get them out of your life as peacefully as possible. And so you kind of use some of their tactics yourself, not to hurt them, but just a little bit. You figure out how, how you can manipulate them. I do anyway, if I can, in order to just, I don't want this person in my life that isn't a healthy, this person isn't coming from a healthy place. I don't want them in my life. And so I can see how they try to manipulate me and I will flip the script and, um, and use that as a way to peacefully have them gone from my experience. Does that make sense? Yeah. When you yes. Put up with it. And the Bible even says that, you know, if you rebuke 
a wise man, he'll love you for it. You know, so have, have friends that you can confront and they'll love you more for confronting him than they did before. But if you rebuke a fool or, or, or an immature person or a narcissist, they'll hate you for it. And it says in Proverbs 9, Solomon said, so don't waste your time with them. Yes. Don't, don't, don't you know, get away from that person. Don't waste your time with that person. Because you're just going to get hurt. And they don't like it when you figure them out and you want to exit that as peacefully as possible because they do hurt. They lash out when they lash out because you're saying no, it's awful. And so I like to have those exits be as peaceful. They don't always have to be an apocalypse. <laughs> so Melanie, last words on, on this. Well, what we're talking about right now, I'll just say Shahida Arabi, how to be the narcissist's worst nightmare, basically, is what you're talking about, right? right. You, and that's an author, Paul, that we've interviewed on the show, and that's the name of her book. And that is definitely one of the tactics is that um, basically you kind of sometimes have to learn how to feed a narcissist's ego. And that's the best way to get out of the relationship or to manipulate them in a way that they're not going to be looking for because they're so used to you being you. They're so used to you being authentically you when you can step back and actually stop, start fighting fair because for so long you haven't even been fair to yourself because you're fighting the devil you know, and, and it's just not worth. So when you can wise up and know your enemy, um, you can truly back your way out of these relationships in a safe way. I do believe that. So yeah, I don't, yeah. yeah, I don't want to be their nightmare. Like I've learned, I don't want to yeah, be, their nightmare. Either. they're, they're either. already a nightmare. I just want to get yeah. out of the relationship. Exactly. And, and with Peacefully. Little, yep. And at least energy is, is needed. I guess so if somebody, if somebody needs to think, that I'm dumb, that I'm really easily fooled, that I'm whatever, whatever it is that they need to think about me in order for me to peacefully exit. I don't care what they think about me at all. And if they need to think that I'm so okay with my ego, uh, that it doesn't bother me that they think that I don't have to like prove them wrong and point out their faults and point out how I figured out they were manipulating me. I used to do that. Now I'm like, I don't care. Fine. Go off on your way. I'm sorry. You're going to go do this to someone else. Think that you really snowed me and I'm really dumb and I don't care. I just am glad that you're not here anymore. <laughs> yeah. And that doesn't sound Christian. But it is Christian, you know, yeah. or whatever religion people are that are listening to us. Yes. Uh, yeah. You know, not not that everybody's a Christian that's listening to us, you know. But but uh, you know, you're a moral. It doesn't sound moral to have that attitude, but it's it really is moral to not get manipulated by people that are just going to waste your energy and your time, as they're taking away the time that you could spend with people that will really benefit from your exactly. love, and compassion, and effort. Do you think, Paul, and I, I know maybe with this becomes a, another topic, maybe we'll do this on the next show. Do you think that that has a little bit or something to do with what really, truly turning the other cheek means? Well, well turning the other cheek, I think that gets uh, uh, really uh, misinterpreted. I agree. Um, yeah, I do yeah, too. Uh, if th that, that passage is talking about if somebody uh, slaps you, in the face for, be, for your beliefs, for your religious beliefs, then 
turn the other cheek and let them slap your other cheek too. Hmm. But if somebody walks up and slaps you in the face because they feel like hitting you, I think you ought to, you know, really knock the living daylights out of them. (laughs) (laughs) I got that one wrong. And and, and there's back that up too. If somebody breaks into your house, you know, then, uh, you, you know, you're lucky if you're a strong man and you can, you know, beat them up and get them out and, and uh, you know there, there's there's a there's there's people that believe that uh, that that verse means in every you know there's whole religions that are pacifists and and believe that you should never uh, you know you should never fire a gun you should never hit back and well how long would America last if we had that attitude right you know a, a day a, a week maybe a month right. we'd be right. over you know right. if they could just come take us over they take us over if we didn't fight back you know and uh so uh that, that's what turning the cheek doesn't just mean if somebody walks up to you and slaps you you should turn your cheek but oh. if they slap because of your religious beliefs then uh turn the cheek in, in order to in order to uh, show them something about you know your faith that you're willing okay. to okay i was thinking of it in terms of turning the other cheek to, I don't need, if someone slaps me emotionally because they're trying to hurt me um, and they're someone who behaves in a predatorial way or they are very narcissistic, I don't need to engage in that and slap them back to try to win the argument or prove my, prove anything. I can, I can turn the other cheek and walk away and go. Yeah. I don't care. Maybe call the police depending on what they did. Yeah, well, if it's just like verbal, whatever, I'm, yeah, I'm talking verbal. about you know, yeah, you just, psychological. Yeah, just get away from them. Yeah, exactly. yeah, you don't want to get in a fight with a narcissist. Uh, right, you don't want to have two cats in a feral, I mean, two feral yeah, cats in yeah. a bag. Just you can, be, yeah. they can go in the bag and, and play with themselves and draw their own blood. And you've walked away and you're not, you know, you never entered the bag with them. <laughs> yeah. So, all right, well, then. I think that's good. We took this from the article uh, that Kim Saeed wrote that is about the seven most empathetic to narcissistic manipulation. There you go. Thank you. Thank you both for coming on and doing a show. (laughs) It's good to talk to you guys. And thanks to our listeners for another edition of Mental Health News Radio. I know, I know, no one likes commercials, but seriously, folks, without the help from these organizations, we could not stay on the air. Please give a shout out to zencharts.com. If you're a mental health or addiction treatment center, you'll want to use their EHR. It's gorgeous, and they're just good people. And also MyGenetics, M-Y-G-E-N-E-T-X.com, because knowing your genetic code empowers your mental health treatment. And lastly, CopeNotes.com. We love getting positive messages right to our phones every day from Johnny Crowder. He's the lead singer of Prison, a heavy metal band sharing their music about suicide prevention, addiction recovery, and mental health. See, that was painless. Support them as they support us. Back to the show. Sometimes I'm passive aggressive, but never without good intentions. I heat up and I 
on my emotions. Thanks so much for listening to Mental Health News Radio. Our podcast can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, and hundreds of other podcast apps. Or you can visit our website at mentalhealthnewsradio.com. If you have a question or would like to be a guest, become a podcaster on our network, or join the amazing organizations that help keep us on the air, please email us at info at mhnrnetwork.com. Get ready for that special goodbye from our resident therapy dog, Miles, and a special thanks to Emily Sohn for letting us use her incredible song, Cordial, for our podcast music. Listen to the full song on SoundCloud at emily.sonne. Don't be surprised when I don't hate on you. After all we promised, we'd be cordial. Sometimes in you, I can fight. Good boy.